0: I'm Sam.
1: And I'm Taz.
0: And welcome back to Front Porch Report. Today we are going to be in Luke chapter 3. It's been a minute since we were in the good old gospel of Luke, or the gospel according to Saint
1: Luke. What are you, Catholic or Orthodox or something? Everyone knows that there's no saints in Protestantism, even though there are saints in the Bible, and guess what? We're both saints according to that definition.
0: Yeah, that's... I don't know, man. Anyway, we're going to be in Luke chapter 3, aforementionedly. If you haven't had a chance to listen to Luke chapter 2, part 2, or Luke chapter 2, part 1, feel free to go back a couple episodes and give those a listen. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to our full episode on, my apologies, our episode on uh, Just the Book of Luke chapters 1 through 9, Yes, I'm looking for a shake from Taz's head, and he's, he says maybe. I don't know okay. either. <laughs> um, anyway, this chapter's in there. If you want to listen to it, go ahead and find that episode. It's called Just the Book of Luke. It's where uh, Taz is reading out of the Christian Standard Bible, which is what we'll be reading out of uh, here in a minute. If you want to join in Luke chapter 3, verse 1.
1: Welcome to Discovery Bible Study on Front Porch Report. Here, every other week, Sam and I look at a chapter from the Holy Scriptures and ask a set of simple questions. What does this text say about people? What does it say about God? And what does it say about the Gospel? From there, we use the insights we glean to discover how the passage is relevant to us and how we can apply it to our lives. This Bible study method is tried and tested in individual and small group settings and is designed to help God's word speak more clearly to the biblical novice or the master theologian. Thank you for joining us this week. and We pray that this study is fruitful to you and to your ministry. All right, Sam, let's hit Luke chapter three. And I, for one, am really excited because Jesus is all grown up now. And with the way my Bible reading plan has been going, I actually haven't read through a gospel all the way in a little while. So I'm excited to get reacquainted with this Jesus fellow and the things that he does and teaches.
0: Man, well, this is good for you. So let's uh, let's go ahead and start. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Itheria and Traconus. It was Lycian tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas. God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into the vicinity of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight the rough ways smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of God. Then he said to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't start saying to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones." An axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What then should we do? The crowds were asking him. He replied to them, The one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none, and the one who has food must do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He told them, don't collect any more than what you have been authorized. Some soldiers also questioned him, what should we do? He said to them, don't take any money from anyone by force or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. Now the people were waiting expectingly, and all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize with water, but the one is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with a fire that never goes out. Then, along with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the evil things he had done, Herod added this, everything else, and locks up John in prison.
1: When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. As he began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years old, and was thought to be the son of Joseph, son of Heli, son of Mathath, son of Levi, son of Melchi, son of Janai, son of Joseph, son of Mattathias, son of Amos, son of Nehum, son of Elsi, son of Nagai, son of Math, son of Mattathias, son of Simeon, son of Josek, son of Judah, son of Jochanan, son of Resa, son of Zerubbabel, son of Sheeltiel, son of Neri, son of Melchi, son of Adi, son of Kosim son of Elmadam, son of Ur, son of Joshua, son of Eleazar, son of Jorim, son of Mathat, son of Levi, son of Simeon, son of Judah, son of Joseph, son of Jonam, son of Eliakim, son of Meliah, son of Menah, son of Matatha, son of Nathan, son of David, son of Jesse, son of Obed, son of Boaz, son of Salmon, son of Nachshon, son of Amminadab, son of Ram, son of Hezron, son of Perez, son of Judah, son of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, son of Terah, son of Nahor, son of Serug, son of Ru, son of Peleg, son of Eber, son of Shelah, son of Canaan, son of Arphaxad, son of Shem, son of Noah, son of Lamech, son of Methuselah, son of Enoch, son of Jared, son of ofplaces, son of Canaan, son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God.
0: All right, Taz, as we uh, dig into the text, we are doing the Discovery Bible Study Method, as we do every week, shock of all shocks. And so we ask ourselves a series of questions. For those who have forgotten the series of questions, Taz, what are they?
1: We ask three questions every time. What does this text say about God? What does it say about people? And what does it say about the gospel? And for those of you listening at home or in the car or wherever it is, please... Come up with answers to this yourself. Be thinking about it. And if your answer is different than ours, that's awesome. Because there is a ton in each of these chapters that we're reading. Way more than we could ever get to in one episode. And if you want to share that with someone in your circle, in your community, or with us, feel free to do so. We are on social media. We're at Front Report on most things or at Front Porch Report on TikTok. And you can also send us an email at thefrontporchreport at gmail.com. But on with the first question. Hey, Sam, what does this passage say about God?
0: So for me, one of the interesting things I see here is God's heart. And we we see kind of this throughout all of Scripture. We see this in, you know, Hosea 6, 6, Joel chapter 2. We see kind of, of spirits of these things. But you see people here, and, and they say that you know, well, for we are sons of Abraham, you know. And it's this this thought process of like, hey man, you, you know, John, you ain't preaching to us, but you have the people that you you'll talk to and say, hey man, you're you are preaching to the converted, brother. You're preaching to the converted, you know. And you, you'll hear that, and that's that's kind of the sentiment that these people are saying to John. They're saying, whoa, hey, we're we're sons of Abraham, and you see. You know this even today in in mainline Protestantism you see almost a worship of liturgy a, a dedication to the liturgy in and of itself you know and it's you know hey we're sons of Abraham we keep we do the things we we pray on Yom Kippur this and that and, and all these things and John just obliterates that and and you know God does and in, in several other parts here you know, again Hosea 6 6 Joel chapter 2 I'd read both of those uh, if you had the time excellent passages. But you know he's he's not looking for that, and 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 John here is like, hey, I could raise sons of Abraham from these very rocks. You know, don't don't take heart in your liturgy. Don't take heart in your genealogy. Even you know, it doesn't matter that your grandpappy's pappy was a pastor. If we're talking in today's verbiage, that's that's not what God's here for. You know, and so I I really appreciate that. Uh, you kind of see this thread throughout all of, you know, it's mentioned in the Gospels. Jesus himself at one point quotes uh, Hosea 6.6, 6, I desire covenantal love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings, you know. Some translations may say mercy instead of covenantal love. I feel like it's more faithful to the original text if you say covenantal love,
1: but I digress.
0: So that's that's kind of where I'm going at when I, when I see this. Taz, what do, what do you see?
1: I'm going to go with something that may seem really obvious on its face, but that struck me in a bit of a profound way as I was studying in preparation for this episode. And it's going to come from verse 22. It says the Holy spirit descended on him in a physical appearance, like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased. And the, the obvious point that I'm going to draw from that is that God, the father, loves Jesus and just sit with that for a moment that within the Trinity there is love it's not just you know we're all God here we're working towards the same purpose so we're going to cooperate it's like you know an actual emotional component a devotional component God the Father loves Jesus Jesus loves the Father the Spirit loves them both they both love the Spirit and that is the model for all relationships and any healthy aspect of any relationship because that relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has existed before time began through, back through all of eternity. And I think that for people who maybe are deconstructing their faith, one thing that I hear a lot from that camp is how could God kill his own son and then expect, how can I expect that to be a good and moral thing? And in reality, it was something that Jesus willingly did. Uh, Philippians 2 tells us that he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, right? And s- submitting himself to death, even death on a cross. And so that's something that Jesus did willingly, But all through that process, the entire time that God, the Father, and the Spirit guided Jesus through his human life on earth, because another thing we'll see with Jesus is that he is constantly praying to God for guidance. All through that time, he knew that he was guiding his son, his beloved son, on a path that would lead to his death. And when you love someone... And you have to guide them to a place that's going to lead to their death. That's you making a sacrifice as well as them. And so from this, we can learn not only about the depths of God, the father's love for Jesus, but also for the depths of all of their love for us as humanity, because only for a great love would Jesus sacrifice so much? But also, would God the Father and God the Spirit also sacrifice so much in order that we might achieve salvation?
0: And as we move out of what does this passage tell us about God, uh, we move into what does this passage uh, tell us about people. And an interesting thing that I see here is people are really dumb. And I'm going to throw myself in that category. I'm not going to be like, oh, yes, other people, they are so stupid, and I am yet so smart. I love how we love to armchair quarterback people in the Bible, especially Old Testament Israel. Oh, man. We armchair quarterback Old Testament Israel like it's no way Well, them idiots out in the wilderness, they couldn't get it right for 40 years straight. You telling me that? No. Okay, come on, please. You'd have been just as dumb as they were. But... So, again, what I'm saying is people are stupid, myself included. But it's like, repentance, hear me out, requires a change in action. Right? Mind-blowing. And we see John saying this. And, you know, it's fairly obvious what people should do in these instances, you know. One of the things that he is asked by the tax collectors, and for those of you who may not be aware, basically the way it worked if you were a tax collector is you were authorized to take a certain amount that was to be given to the Roman government. And what you could get out of people, so say you're authorized to take $100. Again, the U.S. dollar was not around back then, but please, for the suspension of disbelief for the purpose of this discussion, right? So... If you were allowed to take $100 and I walk up to somebody, I'm like, yo, it says here according to Rome that your tax debt is $125. So you need to give that to me. They would pay you and you would pocket that $25. It was a very common practice. It's basically how all tax collectors got rich. It's really funny when you look at tax collectors in Uh, scripture because they were hated by the Jewish people because they were literally screwing them out of money. That was their job. Your job was to screw people out of money and make yourself rich. And that's why they were hated. And so with that mindset, they're like, Hey man, what should we do? And he's calling them to repentance. Right. And, And what does he tell them? Don't collect more than what you've been authorized. That, that, Like it seems really obvious, you know? It's one of those things where it's like, it's like the axe murderers came to him and were like, hey, what should we do? And he's like, don't murder people with axes. And they're like, oh, that's really good. Yeah, we should do that. It's like, no, it's 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 obvious what you should be doing. And what's funny is we love to do this with myself included. I'm I'm throwing myself in this category, fully, fully aware. But we love to be like, man, it's really obvious what you need to stop doing with your sin. And then it's like when, when our sin comes about, it's like we're completely blindfolded. We're like, what should, what should I do to make myself look more like Jesus? And that's like, I don't know. Stop X, Y, or Z, whatever it is, you know. And eventually through the process of sanctification, those things will become smaller and smaller and smaller. The things I struggled with in 2017 are not the things I struggle with in 2022. And the things I struggle with now are, are likely not going to be the things I struggle with in a decade from now. But I, I just, I find it so funny how, how stupid people can be, myself included. Again, I want to specify. Because it, what God calls us to is not a difficult concept to grasp. I mean, for heaven's sakes, Jesus chose 12 people, we'll get there, that were basically the VBS dropouts, right? These were not the the smart kids in the class, you know? Uh, and Jesus chose them, so if they can get it, I promise you, we can get it. Uh, Taz, what are what are you seeing in this passage as as God is revealing us about people?
1: I think we just found our episode hashtag. So anyone who is commenting on this episode on social media, please use the hashtag VBS dropouts, and we'll have a lot of fun with that. You know, my answer is basically the same as yours, so I'm just gonna kind of try to do it a little deeper, go from a different angle, um, and. I think that people are really interested in obtaining salvation until they find out what it's going to cost them. And, you know, John's like, y'all are a a brood of vipers. What are you doing here? Trying to find salvation. Who warned you? And they don't have an answer for that. But I just think it's really interesting. Like you said, that repentance requires a change in activity. And the thing that John tells each of These groups to do is something that kind of strikes at the heart of either their comfort or their security. You mentioned very eloquently how the tax collector got rich off of taking more than they were owed. And it's like, if I stop doing that, then, you know, what's the point of even being a tax collector? For the crowd at large, it says, if you've got two shirts, give one of them to someone else. It's like, literally a call to not have more than the bare necessities, right? Uh, It's like, if you've got even a little bit of security, a little bit extra, then give it to someone who doesn't have even what you would have left over, right? And then the soldiers is like, don't take money by force or false accusation. I'm sure that was, you know, similarly a common part of of their life and be satisfied with your wages they were probably taking things by force because (laughs) they weren't satisfied with their wages right and so all of these things are striking at the heart of what makes each group of people feel comfortable or feel secure and that's going to be different for each of us because we're all coming at this from different backgrounds we have different things we want different things but according to John's definition here, repentance means letting go of our attachment or our reliance on those things that bring us comfort or security. And, you know, we can want salvation, you know, I want to go to heaven or whatever it is, all we want, but it's not free. You know, contrary to popular belief, it wasn't free to Jesus because he had to die on a cross for it. And the thing that he calls us to is not just living the same life we always did, but with a get out of hell free card. It is a changed life. And until we realize that, I don't think that we're going as deep into our relationship with God as, as we should be. But speaking of having a desire for salvation and needing it, this passage also has something profound to say about the gospel. And what do you see regarding that particular aspect in this? Um,
0: you know, Taz, what I find interesting here is a utter and complete refutation of what I would call a lazy grace. You know, we have the, the cultural Christianity, the get out of hell free card, etc., uh, that we've, we've talked about, but you know, like, there's not a lot of room for wiggling here. John is like, the axe is already at the root of the trees, therefore every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay. So how do we produce fruit? And that's that's Evangelism, that's discipleship. That is, um, and those things, in my opinion, aren't mutually exclusive. In fact, I think they're much more intertwined than people in modern Christianity try to make them out to be. You know, if you are not actively seeking someone to disciple, or you are not actively being discipled, um, and sometimes it's a combination of both, of both and, then you're not following what Scripture has mandated you to do. Sorry. I don't, I don't remember reading the Great Commission and it being like, uh, go therefore and make a church attendees of all nations, You know, uh, getting them to walk an aisle and say a prayer and dunk them in some water and then call it good and then we'll see them in heaven. Um, last I checked, it was go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all the things that I have commanded you. Um, and so for me, it's very clear that this is a mandate of the gospel is that we are to produce fruit and we can see that in a litany of other places and we're going to see a litany of other places here in the gospel of luke and and i can't wait to walk with y'all through that process um and that's a charge to me as someone who is you know both been a disciple and have had disciples you know i'm I'm, right now uh the last guy was discipling uh, he and i have have kind of stopped meeting now and he is moving on uh, to find a disciple, and I'm, I'm so happy for him. He's been a great guy, and I'm I'm looking for my next person, you know. And, and what would it look like for us to have five, six people that we invested eight, nine, 10, 15, 18 months in, and we really, really studied the Word and lived and did life with them? What would it look like if we had five or six of those people for our lifetime, you know? And, and that, to me is very very important the the robbie gallaty said something that is so profound and i quote it pretty often and that is the gospel came to you on its way to somebody else so who who in your sphere don't don't get me wrong okay if you're a sunday school teacher excellent i love you for that if you are a um small group leader excellent i love you for that do that but Who are you evangelizing to, and who are you making a disciple? Because that is what we're called to do. I love the fact that we do things like Sunday school and and small groups. But some of the time, I feel like all we're doing is making Christians more Christian, which there is a spot in the church for that, absolutely. Enable the saints to do the work of ministry, I agree 100%. But sometimes, sometimes we need to be doing evangelism and discipleship because that is what we're called to do instead of just making Christians more Christian, you know. Um, I can get off my soapbox. I'm sorry. Tasman, what do you see?
1: I was struck by the phrase in verse 3, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Because this is a moment in the story before Jesus is even really taught anything. And yet we see an early recognition that repentance leads to the forgiveness of sins. And then they tie John the Baptist into this passage from Isaiah. And verse 6 says, and everyone will see the salvation of God. And so we've got forgiveness, repentance, and salvation all tied together in this little bow in in the ministry of John and i want us to realize that jesus didn't just come out of nowhere and say some things that changed everything about what god has been doing in the world this has been in the works it has been in the plan the entire time and at times it was hard to see um the book of hebrews talks about how there were many times and many ways that god spoke and um I believe Paul in Galatians, I may be wrong, says something about how it has been revealed to us now in a new way that it wasn't revealed before. But the seeds for a repentance that leads to forgiveness, that leads to salvation, has always been there. And this is just a little example of that where we see before Jesus even starts his ministry, before he has gotten baptized and had the Spirit descend like a dove, um, there's a recognition that if you, if you repent, if you recognize you're wrong and you turn away from that, then God is there to forgive you. And that is where salvation is found. called it this in a while, Sam, but I think we should do a little solving the world. Um, is there anything in this passage that either was very very noteworthy for you or that left you with lingering questions?
0: Yeah. Um, there's a big, glaring one uh, that some of you may be screaming at your phones about, and some of you may have been asked this by your atheist friend and been like, boom, Bible disproved, you know. And that is, hey, according to Luke's genealogy, we have Heli as Joseph's father. And according to Matthew's genealogy, we have Jacob, Joseph's father. So, boom, Bible disproved. One of those is wrong. You know, boom, drop the mic, right? Whole thing. Okay. And then some of you are like, Samuel, this isn't a big deal. I learned in Sunday school. Boom, cop-out answer. What we talk about in Luke is Mary's genealogy, and that's Mary's genealogy. So, boom, done.
1: But it still says Joseph.
0: But, but the problem is is it still says Joseph, son of Heli. So how do, we, how do we reconcile those things? And so, uh, dear brothers and sisters, don't fret. There is a solution. It is not as elegant as, oh, this is Mary's genealogy. Okay, so scholars hypothesize three different things typically. Number one, uh, it was probably the Sunday school answer you heard that this is Mary's genealogy. Okay, again, that's a little weird. I and the presumption there is Joseph, son of Heli, it's a general term of son, and that it could be his uh, father in law theoretically. Not a very elegant solution, by all means, but not outside of the realm of possibility. That also has kind of played into the fact that Luke pretty heavily focuses on Mary. If you'll find Mary treasured all these things in her heart, that's, as Taz talked about uh, a couple weeks back, that's pretty prevalent throughout the Luke narrative. We focus on Mary's story pretty heavily in Luke, so it wouldn't be unheard of. That being said, it's never expressly said that Mary is a son of David, or at least descendant of David anywhere in any of the genealogies so that's a maybe okay another another option is that one of the genealogies is the legal genealogy that you know is the royal genealogy the descendants of kings of David the other is a physical and literal genealogy so so Matthew would be the more the line of the davidic kings not Jesus's actual ancestors uh, and and Lukes would give us the, the actual physical ancestors and such the descendants. I don't really like that solution, mainly because uh, it discounts you know some, some things that I think are important. And so I'm, I'm not a big fan of that solution, but some people hold to it. Uh, and then the last, of course, is uh, that Joseph had two fathers. And you're like, Samuel, that's not possible. Uh, last I checked. Uh, At least genealogically speaking, he can't have two fathers. And some of you may say that's way far-fetched, but there there are a few things that could be playing into this. So there's a church tradition that Mary did not have any brothers. And you have this concept of, uh, you know, the, the patriarch in this society. This society was very patriarchal. And the sons are who would carry the lineage. And so when Mary, who had no brothers, married Joseph, her father Heli adopted Joseph as his son in order to carry on his bedav. Is the Hebrew word. It literally means household. Therefore, Heli being the adopted father, and of course the literal father would be Jacob. That is one option there. Uh, The other option we have here is uh, leveret marriage. So leveret marriage was a concept that if you know, a man died, his brother would then marry his wife to continue on the seed on behalf of his brother. And so even though genealogically speaking, the children would be his, um, they would actually, under Jewish tradition, be under the brother who passed away. It would be considered uh, their children. So there's a possibility for that in there. In my opinion, the text doesn't really support the possibility of Levite marriage because it would be a have to be a half sibling to make that work, and this and that, and it's not a very elegant solution. If you want Samuel's opinion, Samuel's opinion is likely that, uh, according to church tradition and the church fathers, that Mary had no brothers, and that uh, Heli adopted Joseph into his family. And I think that is probably the most intellectually honest. However, again good scholars disagree with these things. And then, of course, you have the atheist scholar who says, none of these things are true, and you're just making up excuses. Um, so that is, that is the big glaring thing that uh, I'd like to point out in this text. And I, and I want us to point out problems because I think problems, as we see them in the Western world, um, are not actually problems to the original audience. In fact, that, that's almost where the truth of the text is. And when we dig in and we find that kernel and we look at it, it's much more beautiful than our than our Western mindset of, of having this thing that is absolute truth. Um, and the concept of dynamic truth is, is rather interesting, and we could talk about that for hours, but I shall not.
1: So basically, your answer is the same as the Sunday School answer, but more well-substantiated.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, so yes, in a way, if you want to phrase it like that, but... I would say it's, it's at least a little bit more nuanced than just throwing the band-aid of, oh, it's Mary's genealogy, and ignoring the fact that it clearly says that Joseph is mm-hmm. the son of Heli there. So, yes. Tasman, what do you see?
1: I Something that stands out to me is in verse 20. It says, Herod added this to everything else. And that this he's adding is, John rebuked Ter- Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the evil things he had done. Which, there's a there's a whole little rabbit trail we could follow there about that little ancestral relationship but i i think it's interesting that it said herod added this to everything else and then locked john up in prison it's like because it, it's talking like this isn't just the first thing that john has said that offended him this is the straw that broke the camel's back and you know caused him to actually yeah. take some action and i think the everything else is like the stuff that john's already been saying right the call to repentance. Because Herod, as a Tetrarch, you know, he ruled over a quarter of the kingdom of Israel and lived a very sort of debased pagan lifestyle. And so the idea of repentance that John was calling for would feel very pointed to him, I think. And so maybe he and we can tell by the way he treats Jesus later that he's very curious about these, you know, sort of street preachers messiah figures whatever the case may be and um i think the fact that that john was calling for this kind of repentance would really rub herod the wrong way and he was probably just looking for an excuse and then like being directly called out like that was like okay you're going down but he doesn't kill him which is interesting he just keeps him in prison until until some stuff happens later
0: that's a spoiler alert taz <laughs> that's a spoiler that's a foreshadowing right there One of the things that I find interesting about this, Taz, is the phrase, Herod added this to everything else. To me, that seems like a really weird phrase in English, and I'd like to look it up in the Greek because it very distinctly reminds me of something that was said about Mary and is repeated about Mary constantly in the book of Luke, and that is, and Mary treasured all these things up. In her heart. And so I wonder if there's any parallel there or if there's not. Um, you know, some of you may uh, say, actually, there's a chiasm and, and, and drop a whole thing on our Twitter. That would be awesome if you did. But I'll look into it because I think I have no clue. They could be entirely wholly unrelated, but I, those, those phrases translate really weirdly, both of them into English, and I feel like there's something going on there, but I could be entirely wrong.
1: Do you think Luke interviewed Herod? Oh
0: man, that's a question that I don't like, but I love.
1: Imagine if Herod the Tetrarch was on background, and his his quotes ended up in the Gospel of Luke.
0: Ooh, man, Theophilus is lucky. You know he gets he gets the good sources, man. <laughs>
1: And then finally, just a silly question, in verse 14, it says some soldiers also questioned him, what should we do? And I'm like, what are soldiers, what are Roman soldiers doing out in the Israelite wilderness? Like, did they come of their own accord? Were they actually looking for salvation too? Or did someone send them and be like, hey, there's big crowds, I want you to go do some crowd control. And then while they were there, they were like, kind of taken in and wanted to find out more.
0: Mm. It would not be the only time that something like that happened in the Bible, I will say that. And uh, don't believe me, just go to Jesus dying on the cross. That's also foreshadowing.
1: Yes. A lot of things in the Bible don't make sense without foreshadowing, to be honest. It's meant to be read over and over
0: again. What? Crazy. It's like Genesis 3 talks about like a descendant who will come. Something like that. I don't mm-hmm.
1: know. Now we've already, we've kind of covered this a little bit so this might just be a summary statement but the other thing that we need to do whenever we look at a text is figure out how it applies to our life what can we take from this and what can we change about ourselves based on what we have learned and we've talked a lot about how repentance means a change in action so i don't know sam what then should we do um
0: repent for the kingdom is near uh, and it blows my mind because like when you when you read the early church fathers and you read Paul, like like they think Jesus is coming back today like in an hour like and they have that urgency. and I feel like for me, I think, not feel this is a thought, not a feeling that like that sense of urgency is not there. You know, we're not in 21st century America, you're like, yeah, Jesus is coming, you know, or you have the the Southern, well, of the good Lord Terry's, I'll see you on Sunday, you know, type type mentality. But man, like, Jesus is coming. Like, 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 a Christian who does not have an eschatology that is the belief of what happens at the end, right, is not a Christian at all, right? Eschatology is hugely important. I wouldn't say that it's the most important thing, but like, you have to believe Jesus is coming back. That's like... That's part of the gospel. So you know, like that's that's the one thing that we kind of all agree on. Like, you know, whatever your your Methodist, your, your Presbyterian, your Southern Baptist, like all of us believe in a real, physically, bodily return of Christ. Like, like that's that's happening. And do we have that urgency? Do we honestly have that? Ur- like Jesus is coming back tomorrow. You know, and of course, if Jesus comes back tomorrow, y'all will never hear this. But <laughs> the other hashtag could be Sam was wrong. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So and for me, I don't feel that urgency. I don't feel that urgency to share the gospel as much as I should, because yeah, I, I have I have a while. I have a while. And then it's like if Jesus comes back tomorrow. That's great. Except for the dude in my anatomy class who's going to go to hell for all eternity because I didn't open my mouth, you know.
1: I'm going to take this kind of personally and be real specific when in my particular line of work, which is emergency department nursing, I think that there can be a tendency. There's a there's a phrase that goes around. It's called treat them and street them. Basically, get them in and out as fast as you can. And there's a practical reason for that, which is that you never know when someone's going to come in with a real emergency. So. We can't just have people who don't need to be there lounging around. But what it can come across as and what the temptation that we can fall into is to just not relationally or emotionally connect with our patients at all, to be rude, to not look out for their best interest, just say whatever it takes to get them out the door as quick as possible, even if maybe there's some sort of aspect of their health that they don't understand and a few more minutes of instruction could do a lot of a lot of good. And I like to think that I do a pretty good job, but I know that there's always room for improvement in that department. And so if I, if I go to work and my perspective is not, okay, how do I look good to my colleagues because I'm treating and treating really well, but instead it, my focus is on, hey, these people are made in the image of God and repentance for me can look like sharing what I have with the people who don't have it. And what I have is knowledge of health. Then I think that's something that I can I can put a little more focus on and can be a greater blessing to to my patients when I have the opportunities at work. tasman yes Sam.
0: i have maybe maybe not a hot take but i have a warm take for you
1: please elaborate
0: so in the social media world there is a trend going around about a young boy who is just ecstatic about corn
1: you know what? I saw a um, a post from Chipotle where they got that kid to come in, and they're going down there. He's like, "Do you want rice? No. Do you want meat? No. Do you want salsa? No. Do you want corn? Corn."
0: <laughs> I, I saw that too. It was great. I'm like, man, that kid got paid like probably a lot of money by Chick fil A or by Chipotle to just come in and be like, "Yeah, I love corn." Um, so, Tasman. as much as that kid loves corn what is something that you love you can't say jesus that's a cop-out answer
1: Ooh, i mean corn is definitely up there for me too like it's so sweet and like popcorn is just a special thing tortillas i think out of all the bread-based things i think tortillas are the best because it can be a plate it can be something that you just tear and eat you can dip it in something sweet or something um, spicy you can make it crunchy you can you know make a sandwich out of it in some way Burritos are a really handy thing. tacos are a really handy thing so I think tortillas if you just gave me some tortillas I'd be I'd be happy just munching on those.
0: You could hypothetically take tortillas and make tortilla chips. And then you could microwave those tortilla chips into a gelatinous form. Don't you you be
1: exposing me like this. (laughs) And you can make tortilla chips from corn. (laughs) Oh, man.
0: That was great. That was beautiful.
1: Thank you all for joining us this week. Front Porch Report is a passion project by a group of people who love Jesus and want to spread his word. Our hosts are Taz Turner and Samuel Hinckley. Our theme song is If by Beautiful Eulogy. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and share this episode with your friends so that we can continue to spread the word. If you'd like to get in touch with us, Follow on Twitter where we are at Front Report or send us an email at thefrontporchreport at gmail.com. We'll catch you next week. In the meantime, stay safe out there. With a super powered mind, a mechanical canine. He rescues the day from sure destruction.
0: What are you singing?
1: This is the theme song for Jimmy Neutron.
0: Well, anyway. I'm gonna try not to say um again. And I said um, I think you could have cut that one out, but it messed me up to the point where I'm like crap.
1: The self-awareness is real. The self
0: awareness is going to get to me this episode because it's fresh. I listened to the student loan forgiveness episode today, and so like it's it's it hits fresh anyway. Sorry.
1: With the way my bo- and this is for the bloopers for sure, but I just want everyone to know that Sam got so bored with the list of names that he left the room.
0: I did not leave the room. I had I had my earpod in. I was running to go get my reference text, my study Bible, because I needed to pull up a reference text. Also, not going to lie, every time I read verse um, 33, I, uh, I think it says a mini dab. So I'm like, ugh, mini dab.
1: Really tempted to edit your little and just like make it go on for longer and then like get progressively louder. I'm <laughs> like, just like. Copy-paste. <laughs>